Welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. This week's quote comes from Nina Teicholz. What PR room came up with the term vegetable oils? Well, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast, or if this is your first time, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm your host, and you can learn more about me over at youtube.com slash ketocamp. On today's show, we have a wonderful human being, Nina Teicholz, who wrote the book, The Big Fat Surprise. And on this episode, she's going to share the history of what went wrong when it came to eating the right fats and the development, the genesis of vegetable oils, which aren't really vegetable oils. They are industrial seed oils. And if you've been following my work, you know how toxic I believe vegetable oils are to the body at a cellular level. I've shared with you studies that have shown a plate of French fries that were fried in canola oil, which is a vegetable oil, resulted in five months of cellular membrane inflammation. The significance of that is that the cell membrane is what communicates to your DNA to turn on or turn off genes. So when you have inflammation around your cells, not only is it going to be difficult for the hormones to get into your cells, for nutrients and oxygen to get into your cells, but it's going to turn on genes that you do not want turned on, like cancerous genes, like autoimmune genes, and a whole bunch of nasty things start to happen as a result of cell membrane inflammation. I believe vegetable oils are so toxic to us at a cellular level. They are worse than sugar, in my opinion, because here's the deal. If you just look at stats and compare vegetable oils to smoking a cigarette, this is gonna blow your mind. What do you think the statistics are for developing lung cancer for somebody who has smoked two packs of cigarettes every single day for 20 years? What are the stats for these people? What's the percentage of them getting lung cancer? two packs a day for 20 years? The answer is 16%, okay? Now, what is the percentage of somebody getting cancer or heart disease if you eat vegetable oils every day for 20 years? 85%. I am not advocating smoking a cigarette, but I am saying vegetable oils are dangerous. They are toxic. Here are the main culprits, and then I'll get into the episode with Nina Teicholz. Canola oil, grapeseed oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, any of these industrial seed oils, we want to avoid as much as possible. And most people don't realize, but a lot of the restaurants you're eating at, they're using these oils because they're very cheap. The whole food salad bar and food bar, they use these oils. It's loaded. Just because it is whole foods doesn't mean everything in there is healthy. So you got to be really diligent and read the labels, ask your waiter or waitress, let them know you're allergic to vegetable oils. And instead, use avocado oil, olive oil, grass-fed butter, grass-fed ghee, coconut oil. These are better alternatives. And Nina Teicholz will explain why. I should give you a brief brief history lesson on the dangers of vegetable oils and margarine and all these crazy uh, frankenfoods that came into existence. Before I get into sharing Nina with you, I want to remind you that I am launching a seven-week keto and fasting program. I launched this every 90 days and it's about to launch on September 16th. I'm taking 50 people through a program where I teach you how to utilize the ketogenic diet and fasting the right way so you could get amazing results. Turn off bad genes, regenerate stem cells, 
and I've seen people lose over 25 pounds within seven weeks. It's first come, first serve, so if you're hearing this at the right time and you're an action taker, you'll get in. And for anybody who signs up before it's filled, I'm going to be giving away over $3,000 in free gifts. So you get coaching from me, you get over $3,000 in free gifts, and you get to change your health around. So if you want to learn more, go to www.ketocampfasting.com. Remember, it's camp with a K. So that's www.ketocampfasting.com. Learn more. I'd love to coach you. And let's get into this episode with Nina Teichholz. What are vegetable oils? These are vegetable oils, um, the ones that are most commonly known, really. Um, soybean oil is the one that is really the main contributor to the oils we eat. And they're not really vegetable oils. I mean, it sounds so lovely, doesn't it? You know, I always wonder about what PR room came up uh, with the word vegetable oils. They're not made from vegetable oils. Vegetables, like broccoli or anything, they're made from seeds and beans. Um, so they actually should be called seed oils. And, the, and in the... in. Um, Amongst technical vegetable oils, vegetable oil scientists, that's actually what they call them among themselves. Um, of course, they're not natural. These are the natural fats that humans ate for millennia. There's um, tallow, which comes from cows, and suet from lambs. Um, lard was, these are the, really the two main ones that were used in cooking in, West, in the West. Lard from pigs and, of course, butter. Um, and... Um, in other societies, in, in Asian societies, they also used um, coconut oil and palm oil. Um, those are traditional fats. Um, and you know, we know they're traditional uh, from, in the Odyssey, Athena is, says she lays down a fat goat and the chine of a great wild hog rich in lard for Odysseus, obviously to kill him. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so vegetable oils, oils of any kind were really not used for human consumption. They were used for industrial machinery as lubricants. Um, in the Industrial Revolution, I mean, first it was really whale oil um, from the 1820s to the 1860s, and they were used for machinery. Um, and then when we killed all the whales, we moved over to cottonseed oil, which was a byproduct um, of, you know, the, the cotton was a huge crop in, in the southern United States, and they didn't know what to do with the leftover oil, so they started using that um, to replace whale oil. And it wasn't, I should say, it was not a food. This oil was used a little bit in the late 1800s to adulterate um, butter, to kind of sneak it in. But um, here's the problem with oils and human consumption. They are not stable. They're greasy and oily. Um, so this is just to show you the chemistry. A saturated fatty acid has no double bonds in there between the carbon molecules. And so it's straight. A double bond makes a chink in the chain. But if it's saturated, meaning it's saturated with hydrogens, there are no double bonds. So that's straight and flat. And those molecules can sit on top of each other all together, and there's no space between them. And so they make solids. Saturated fats are solid. Whereas unsaturated fatty acids, this is a polyunsaturated fatty acid. Poly means um, multiple double bonds um, between the carbons and and they're unsaturated because if you broke this bond and put you could add hydrogens here um, so it's not saturated with hydrogens so and those molecules don't lie flat together they're all squiggly and wiggly and so there's space between them and therefore they're oils um, that's the basic chemistry so in order to use oils as food stuff they had to make them straight. 
and they did this through a process called hydrogenation. So they, they took oleic acid, this is the, um, one of the polyunsaturated fats, actually that's not polyunsaturated fat, that's the monounsaturated fat, but anyway, the idea is they straighten it out through a process of, um, called hydrogenation. And hydrogenation is um, a very complex process that involves all kinds, you know, a huge factor. I've actually been in a hydrogenation factory um, and, you know, there's just floors and floors of machinery and they use metal catalyst and the hexane solvent and then they go through this incredibly long process because really when you take seeds or beans and you press them, what comes out is this rancid gray liquid and then you have to make that palatable. So you have to deodorize it and winterize it so it's stable and you have to go through all these, um, all these steps. Um, you don't churn it and you don't milk it from a cow <laughs> and churn it. Um, so it's a lot more complicated. But this is, that, that process is what allowed vegetable oils to come into the food supply. Um, and that happened because once it could be stabilized, um, actually when they first stabilized, this is Procter & Gamble who were originally soap makers and tallow makers, and when they first stabilized cottonseed oil in the early 1900s, about 1910 or so, when they, this process was discovered, they looked at that and they said, oh, we'll sell that as soap. Like the, and actually, a lot of your soaps are made from oils. That's what you know, a lot of soaps are. And, and then they looked at it and they said, well, that actually looks a lot like lard. Why don't we try to sell it as lard? So, um, and this is in uh, 1911. So they figured that out and they, they, um, and they had a number of names for they eventually landed on this idea of Crisco. And that was the introduction of vegetable oils as a commercial product into the into the human food supply, really. That was really the beginning of it as a commercial product. And they were brilliant about how they went about marketing this product. And they did it, um, you have to understand, you know, in America, in the early uh, 1900s, particularly in America, everybody wanted the new, well, um, almost every society, everybody wants the new and the modern, and so this was, um, they would market Crisco as something, I'm gonna quote now, that comes from the book of Crisco. While Crisco may be a shock to the older generation, born in an age less progressive than our own, it is a modern woman is glad to give up butter and lard, just as her grandmother, quote, her grandmother was happy to forego the fatiguing spinning wheel. So it was like a, supposed to be a liberation. It was also marketed in contrast to the always uh, sort of sordid conditions of animal slaughter and extraction of animal fats. And, but Crisco was made in um, sparkling bright rooms and clean countertops and chemistry labs. And, and they, white, and quote, white enamel covers metal surfaces um, to contrast it to the conditions of, of, of making animal fats. So, and it was incredibly successful. I mean, they really, there's, in, at the, they sold cookbooks and all kinds of pamphlets and they marketed it and at the end they said, you know, and in every cookbook in America, butter is crossed out and Crisco is put, and butter and lard are crossed out and Crisco is put in its place. And that is what happened. Um, at about the same time, margarine also entered. Margarine is also hardened vegetable oils. Um, and um, Originally margarine, very early on, it used to be made with lard and coconut oil, which are solid, stable fats. But by 1958, it was made entirely from polyunsaturated fats. Um, and it was a huge threat to the dairy industry. Um, if you want um, 
any insight into why one of the reasons it took me so long to write a book is that, you know, I spent like three months completely obsessed with margarine and, and all, went into all, there was this whole incredible chapter of the dairy industry trying to, pre, uh, to prevent the margarine industry from entering in. And so they had all kinds of taxes and restrictions and you couldn't sell yellow margarine. You had to only sell it as white. And then you would get a little color capsule that you would knead into it to make it yellow to look like butter. And these are angry housewives protesting that they want their margarine because of course, Margin, vegetable oils were very quickly cheaper. They were just cheaper, so housewives wanted them. Um, and, and eventually it became accepted really in World War II when even wealthy women wanted to save money and it was considered okay then to put margarine on, a, on an elegant table. And so that was sort of the end of margarine restrictions. So these are the so so Crisco and margarine are the main ways that vegetable oils entered into our food supply, and that all happened really. They were introduced and, and solidly in the food supply by the by the mid 20th century. So, um, and then when did oil as oil come in? Um, this actually happened in the 1940s because they 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 had figured out by 1940 they had figured out how to stabilize oil um, just enough to, to to sell it in a bottle. Um, remember, oils are rancid products. They oxidize really easily. They go rancid and bad. They, they, do, they have no shelf life stability, but they figured out a little chemical fix um, in the 1940s, and so now they were able to sell it as oils. Um, so, and then they, of course, as we know, they got um, a huge boost when the American Heart Association started recommending polyunsaturated vegetable oils to replace saturated fats. Um, and this was a tremendous uh, boost to the vegetable oil industry. As we know, that was all part of Ansel Keys's diet heart hypothesis. We said saturated fats and cholesterol cause heart disease. And that happened uh, in response to the tremendous panic over the rising tide of heart disease with President Eisenhower himself having a heart attack in 1955 and being out of the Oval Office for 10 whole days. Just imagine your president is out of the office with you know, for 10 days. I mean, like, the, the really, I mean, the nation was in a tremendous panic. And, and it was into that vacuum of understanding about what causes heart disease that, that Ansel Keys stepped. Um, and this is just my chart to show you what an incredibly ludicrous idea it was at the time that President Eisenhower's heart attack was caused by saturated fats already declining in the food supply. What was perfectly rising in lockstep with um, heart disease for, uh, was sat unsaturated vegetable oils. So how crazy to think that you would solve a condition uh, with, with the, the food that was, had been just invented and, and seemed to be perfectly correlated with heart disease. Anyway, um, and there's also a really interesting backstory about how the American Heart Association had really uh, had deep, deep ties with the vegetable oil industry, and in fact had been launched by um, Procter and Gamble, a vegetable oil um, that one of their products was Crisco. You know, Procter and Gamble, original maker of Crisco. So, and this is a story that I tell in my book that and the American Heart Association. You understand because because heart disease really only came was rare until the late 1920s. The American Heart Association, you know, cardiologists was a relatively small little specialty and they were, um, they were, they were not a big group and they, they had an office, a small office and almost no money. They, they, um, the American Heart Association really was nothing to, to look at until the Procter & Gamble came along in 1948 and they designated them 
the, to be the recipient of this Jack Benny radio show contest. It's called the Walking Men Contest, where all the proceeds from the show went to the American Heart Association. And as the American Heart Association's own history book uh, reads, it says, and overnight millions flew into our, poured into our coffers. Um, as the Procter & Gamble man, they had a dinner celebrated and handed us the check, and overnight they became a huge, massive uh, uh, nonprofit organization. They're still the biggest nonprofit in the U.S. today, all thanks to their launch by Procter & Gamble, whom they paid off, I think, very well. <laughs> um, and because they're, you know, they were recommending um, Crisco products. Uh, in fact, there's a, uh, a story that I don't have the picture of it, but there's a story of a, uh, there's, I have a letter from um, a scientist complaining to Campbell Moses, who is the president of the American Heart Association in the 1960s, saying, uh, you know, Campbell, I can't believe the rank commercialism of your uh, um, posing in that film with your face next to a bottle of Crisco oil. And I won't participate if you, if you continue to do that. Um, so the American Heart Association, so you know, what, what this enabled the vegetable oil industry to do was to market itself basically as a health food, you know, as, as, as a food that you can eat in order to avoid a heart attack. Um, these are some more ads. Um, take this ad to your doctor so they can prescribe vegetable oils to you. Um, and here's margarine for, because of course your eight-year-old should worry about cholesterol. Um, that actually, that ad actually became the subject of a whole lawsuit and was eventually banned because there was no evidence and still is no evidence that high cholesterol in children has anything to do with heart disease except for in rare genetic cases. This whole idea that saturated fats, replacing saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats has been tested in large randomized controlled clinical trials on more people than have ever been tested on any other hypothesis in the world in nutrition science. And the results, you know, large, well-controlled tiles, and, which are the gold standard of evidence, and they have shown no effect of saturated fat on any cardi on cardiovascular mortality or total mortality. I hope you found that episode interesting and informative. I sure did. If you want to watch the full lecture she gave, on vegetable oils. I got this from the Low Carb Down Under YouTube channel. The name of the lecture is entitled Nina Teichel's Vegetable Oils, The Unknown Story. I will put a link for this video in the notes. Make sure you click it and watch the full episode. And if you wanna learn more about Nina Teichel, so you can visit her website over at ninateichholz.com. That's N-I-N-A-T-E-I-C-H-O-L-Z. I will put that in the, in the notes as well. Check her out and get her book, The Big Fat Surprise. It is a great resource for you to really deep dive into the history of fats. If this episode has been helpful and if you've been enjoying any of the Keto Camp podcast episodes, please leave the show a rating and a review. It would make a big difference for the show. It helps iTunes get the message out there, get this podcast out there to more people. So please leave a rating and review. Take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your Instagram story or Instagram profile and tag me in it so I could reshare that and get some people following you back. My Instagram handle is at thebenazadi, T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I, and use the hashtag KetoCamp so we know where our community is posting and we can look that up. I always look up the KetoCamp hashtags. Remember, camp with a K. 
If you haven't claimed my Keto Kickstart Guide, you can get it for free. It's a 12 page ebook designed to teach you to burn fat instead of sugar. Head over to www.ketokickstartguide.com, claim that for free. And again, if you want to join my seven week Beyond Fasting program where I teach you all I know about keto and fasting, go to www.ketocampfasting.com. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me. You will hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.